Welcome back, everybody. Ben Tringrove here. Welcome back to the Human Source Codex podcast. So today we're going to jump into uh, a, a topic that I've been discussing with Kelly a lot, which is around uh, polarizing our physiology to get to the gym. You know, back in my early 20s, when I was a, uh, a personal trainer, about four to five years, I would quite often find that uh, when I was having clients coming in and, and looking at their relationship with food, that... Um, you know, the, the, the cycle or the way that they would actually get motivated to get to the gym was more out of like guilt or shame, more out of the fact that they had a massive meal the day before or they've been eating shit. So it's out of this relationship with the food that they've managed to get themselves to the gym. But it goes much deeper than this. You know, it's what else are we doing to our, to our physiology that maybe we're unconscious of. So this, in this episode, we're going to go really deep into um, why we polarize our body uh, why we polarize our physiology, especially to get to the gym, this kind of relationship. So with that said, we'll cue the theme song and we'll jump into it. So the big question is this, how do truth-seeking entrepreneurs like us sift through the gurus and teachers that persuade us through hype by promoting half-truths? How do we as inspired individuals raise our awareness so we can access ever greater levels of achievement and fulfillment? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Ben Trimgrove, and welcome to the Human Source Codex with co-host Kelly Stewart. Jumping into here, um, Kelly, what's your, your view around this? Well, uh, great topic, Ben. I think, I think uh, every one of us have actually experienced what you're actually talking about. You know, it's not something that, you know, people have not had the opportunity to, to experience. And, um, and I guess like looking at what is the purpose of actually wanting to go to the gym and is it a value to, to the person who wants to actually uh, potentially improve the way that they eat or the way that they actually work out or they improve their physiology. <clears throat> but Looking at, I'd actually ask some questions to the person, uh, you know, why they felt that they needed to change these particular things, right? So let's just go with you because I know that this is something that you're actually working with at the moment, mm -hmm. that yeah. you tend to struggle with uh, going to the gym and then you, what, pig out on crap? And That's I'm labelling it as crap, but some people may not, you know, it's just food. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. It's more um, like I love I love the gym. It's not typically hard to get to the gym, um, and I don't go to the gym because it's like I feel guilty. It's more the uh, what pops up is more um, the food choices and the food amount, and but because it may me specifically might not be the right time to kind of go into it. It might not serve others so much, but I typically overeat either to, because uh, I'm, that, you know, we already discussed that masculine energy. So whether I overeat in order to bring myself back into my body, so I'm kind of feeling within myself, um, plus many other elements that can kind of fit, fit into that. Um, so how about we talk, talk about the, yesterday when, when we did the podcast, we talked about secondary and tertiary effects, right, down the line. Um, secondary and tertiary effects, of addictions, right? They're, you know, we have to look at cause and effect. What is the, they're byproducts of the actual cause. 
of yeah. why a person does the things that they do and looking at what is it that they're, they're actually stepping into addictive behaviours? What is the primary cause or the driving effect of that? A lot of people are not conscious to that either. Like they're just reacting by going through and eating certain ways and doing things through habit. But also, we could also look, there's so many aspects that are involved in this one particular question that you're actually asking. And, you know, it's very difficult to actually put like a broad overview onto it, uh, apart from saying that it's an unconscious behavior that is actually driven by, uh, you know, a primary cause that's creating the, the, the primary, secondary and tertiary effects of why we are putting particular things that we label as unhealthy into our body or, or not doing exercise to improve our physiology, which was also a label, right? Mm -hmm. So, and the, there's so many components in terms of perception to what people may think that is healthy or within the realms of well-being. Okay, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. after traveling many different countries around the world, you know, I can look at different body types and different food habits and, and I can see elements of health and well-being in all aspects of body types and food types and, uh, you know, physical activity or non-physical activity. So to me, this is kind of, uh, you know, it's it's really conjective in terms of what it is that the individual person is actually seeking or judging within themselves that they're doing or not doing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why I thought about to bring up a topic and it would be able to get a simple answer or a simple, <laughs> a simple discussion. So let me, let me do my best around this for the, for the people listening. So when it comes to overeating, say, um, and forget Jim for a second, but overeating now, Obviously, when we're eating junk food, we're getting releases of, um, you know, dopamine and, and what, well, you know, these good feeling um, hormones. Dopamine, dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin, you know, like the, the opium for, for us in terms of that. So they're the feel good neurochemi yeah. neurochemicals. Yeah, which we don't typically get when we are... Um, Plus yeah. and serotonin, vasopressin and, and kephalons as well. Right, which we don't necessarily get when we're eating broccoli. So there's straight away that attachment. Let us stop, 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 stop. I think, you know, like you can get it if you were to eat broccoli, right? If you, if I could actually, pardon? The association's there. Yeah. So yeah. it's just about actually shifting the neuro associations for you to learn to love broccoli and to be able to access the, the same particular neurochemistry as you would, you know, eating a donut, right? So, uh, yeah, so this is new then. I didn't know that. Yeah, totally. And it, it, it's all within like pre-framing the mind and, and the perception of, of what it is that you're actually putting into your mouth. So if you wanted to actually change the way that you're actually eating, all I would have to do is actually stack up the neural associations that there's more benefits in eating broccoli than there is in eating donuts, right? Okay. So that's okay. I understand that, con that construct of it, but how is it that 
Um, I thought it's the ingesting that type of junk food and the sugars and high carbs that releases those hormones. Is it not necessarily the, the, the food, the nutritional makeup? Is it more the perception of what you're eating rather than the food itself? Does it make sense? Yeah, absolutely. There's a combination of both, right? <clears throat> and definitely if you were to eat a donut, which is actually, I think that they've actually worked out that the donut is the, the most uh, addictive component of just the right amount of fat and the right amount of sugar to actually keep, keep a person actually engaged in actually eating those particular things, right? So they've done studies on rats and, and uh, got them totally addicted to it. It's one of the highest addictive uh, combinations of food, you know, mm. fat and sugar together. So, yeah, for sure. Um, but you still have the ability with consciousness uh, to overpower that particular desire within you. If you are conscious enough to be able to be in presence of the moment or, and have the education and knowing what's, what's actually happening in your body, that, that's it, right? And if you have the willpower through consciousness, actually not to actually put that into your mouth and start that chemical process happening, then uh, that's where my work actually begins, is that we call it having governance over the animal mind or the limbic system that has the desire, that gets caught in the addictive realm of actually consuming those particular things, consuming sugars, consuming uh, feel-good things uh, towards to make the body feel good because there's an avoidance of something or pain or displeasure that is perpetuating that desire to actually uh, consume sugary contained foods. So that's where I would go back and look at, ask the person, you know, like looking at what is it that they're, that they're appeasing within their physical body, that they're appeasing really in their emotional body, within their yeah. emotional mind. What it, which, what I think, is it? Which, I, which I think a lot of people don't, maybe if they're very intuitive, they can sit there and just trust the first answer that comes up. I don't personally like the, the term willpower, more for, so for the sense of, like, if I'm going and eating a whole lot of junk food, for me, and, and it's only coming from the constructs that I know, but it's because I'm trying to feel something, run away from something. I'm unfulfilled in other areas. So I'm looking for a, a high, so to speak, in other areas because I don't really drink alcohol. I don't do drugs. Exercise is a bit of another one. You feel certain things. So you could, someone, someone might call that more empowering. The truth is, this is the truth, is that we all have an addiction. And addiction, addictions are labelled as bad, that we should get rid of them, right? But in reality, in actuality, we cannot. Addiction is just a trait that every person actually expresses and it's in whatever form that they choose to actually place it. The choice, though, however, bringing it conscious to say, I'm going to place my addiction today is mine is in coffee today, right? So that is, that is where I choose to actually place my addiction. So I'm, I have a conscious awareness of how uh, the addictive nature actually does show up. Okay. And... Does that make sense to you? So there is an awareness of what is actually happening. So therefore there's governance over. I'm going to be the cause of their very effect to where I choose to actually place, we could say it's chaos, place my chaos and my addiction today. Because I know as a conscious human being 
that I cannot get rid of addictive nature. It is inherent within us, but I'm going to take control of that to a degree. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I wasn't going to go here, but I will anyway. <laughs> because again, some, some, some listening also comes from the same realms as we do or from different learnings. When it comes to the old boy, John Demartini, and he certainly polarizes or in my, my understanding polarizes or, or labels addiction as living by lower values, you could say based on axiology. Have you heard him frame it another way or does he use it to persuade using rhetoric? Well, I've been in many of uh, John's courses and discussions and I've had the opportunity to observe multiple different aspects of the way that he teaches and presents. And that is definitely one of his ways of actually explaining what addictions are. That's for sure. So it, 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 and that again comes down to like asking the individual that's that I may be present with or that we're working with uh, and to actually ask more questions to discern what is it in their perception that is actually going on from their from the emotional or uh, the, the polarized view of, of why they want to change what it is because if they're labeling it addictive then they, they've got a judgment on it there's mm -hmm. some shame or guilt that's actually attached to it because they're injecting or subordinating uh, other people's values either into them or they're trying to actually uh, live by other people's values and other person's values, not their own. So yes, in, in an element for sure. Okay. So absolutely. That, that is one part. Yes. Of what okay. John's construct is. For okay. Sure. <clears throat> but if you, if you, if you understand like, um, when we're appeasing the emotional aspect within ourselves, we're appeasing the lower mind, we're appeasing the, the, the limbic system. So we're feeding the animal within. So therefore that is also classified as where lower values actually uh, originate from. And we're just reactionary automatrons actually just reacting to outside circumstances with no consciousness to it. Yeah. Yeah. So what you've said so far, and I think for anyone listening that may be new to any of, of a, a bit of a different aspect of human behavior is that the first element, at least in my view, is that when we are like, oh, I'm doing, doing something that we don't like, therefore passing judgment on it, right? I wish I didn't eat like this. I wish I didn't, you know, sleep with this person, whatever it happens to be, a judgment. The first, again, like we said on the other podcast the other day around the law of polarity, there's always two sides that first needs to be believed before you can come to the awareness that there is no good. There is no bad because if you, if you first go, okay, I'm judging something, then you either do the work yourself or you work with a coach to find the other side of how it's serving you. Right. Yeah. This is, this is a, a moralistic construct of like humanity that has labeled with judgment that there is good or bad or, you know, like angelic or an evil. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're the two polarities that are actually playing out. So you know, it, it's really, it's an interesting subject to actually go into that because it's, it becomes a, a belief system, which is injected by 
so many different things through people's lives. You know, it could be religious constructs, you know, family culture constructs, you know, um, language even in itself sometimes has a different meaning to it, you know, and that's where people will pick up around what things may be actually what they believe. So I want to be able to ask, again, some, a bunch of quality questions to determine what, where, where a particular person is actually perceiving these things from. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, where they've picked up. Yeah. I mean, and, and yeah. a lot of them might even just be unconscious or they're just obviously these society things, society beliefs. Well, Ben, ben you know, like 99% of the population is unconscious to uh, this way of, of the what we are actually teaching. And this is what, you know, this is why I've decided to actually start to really teach from a different layer to actually help people actually transform the way that they think so that they start to see the truth. You know, it's not just half truths. One side of a polarity, they start to see the, the opposites, right? We talk about the law of opposites, the law of correspondence, and the laws of compensation, which really does speak to those, those the polarity. And mm. being able to see the, the, the duality um, come back to the one, in the moment, right? So this is where we, we start to train to actually say, okay, this is a half truth. If I'm believing one-sidedness means by the law of heuristic escalation, there is the equal and opposite that is actually occurring. I just want to bring it into my consciousness. So where can I start to actually observe to see where that is? And then that actually changes the way that we actually view and filter our life that we are actually living. Yeah. Yeah. So you said the other day, we've heard other places, but the only three things that we can control in our life is our perception. So the way we see things, our decisions, actions, yes. decisions, the way we decide things and actions. Right. So for those yeah. listening and I'm, I'm a bit like Kelly's the medium and I'm the interpreter sometimes depending on, uh, I don't know. I just like to use very simple language, but again, for those listening, anything around conscious consciousness, another word for that is around like awareness you know, bring something to your awareness, you're now aware. But you also mm -hmm. mentioned something before, Kelly, um, the law of heuristic escalation. You're going to just like flesh that out a little bit. Like what do you, again, what's, what's the kind of the meaning behind that or the, what, what, what well, to, about? See, to make it really quick and simple, the law of heuristic escalation means that for every person in the world that's demonstrating one particular action or trait, that there is somebody that will demonstrate the opposite. That's just to simplify it. And we have a little joke in our world is that you tend to find you, you tend to find that person because they become your antiparticle. We call them particle, antiparticle, and then you marry them, right? right. And so, so they that that is a universal law, and that that's just demonstrating you know uh, the construct of polarity, <clears throat> laws of correspondence, particle, antiparticle, law of heuristic escalation is simply that there is an opposite somewhere in the world demonstrating the complete opposite to what and who you are in terms of the way that you demonstrate yourself. Yeah. So I perceive that we are all sent here to become whole human beings. And that is to actually, again, you come back to there's only three things that we can actually control in this world is that is our perceptions our decisions and our actions. Right. And that is having mastery over what it is and how we actually perceive things. And then we go to the next feedback of what are we going to decide? We've given it meaning to that. Mm -hmm. And then what are we going to decide? And then how are we going to act on it? Mm 
So within those three components, if we can see and understand with full awareness and full consciousness that there is in the decision, we, we start to train ourselves. Okay, is this is my decision come based on emotion or is it a one-sided decision and in the, in the feedback that I've got? So we start to actually, and we call that subjective if it's one-sided mm-hmm. and we call it objective if we can see both sides, right? Yeah. And the moment we step into objectivity, we then tend to actually activate the prefrontal cortex in our brain. And that gives us more of a visionary component that we can see further. So we see more things and then we can act with, with, we just say like, um, we have more information. We have more information to actually act and respond to. Yeah. Okay. So, so coming back to, um, or, or expanding on the first thing, perception. Now, when you when you're talking about subjectivity impulse and instinct what's the difference well going back to the food if you're impulsive and say like you're going through the checkout at the supermarket and you're standing there and you're waiting to put your stuff through and you know how they actually put all the stuff there to, to you know it's kind of, it's kind of like clickbait right you gotta yeah. you gotta like grab what the chocolate bars and the chewing gum and all the sugary stuff right so if that to me is impulsive, like you're actually drawn to it and, and then you, you know, impulsively just grab that stuff. Like you're unconscious to why you're actually doing it. So if you can, in that moment, be conscious to like, oh, okay, I just got attracted to shiny, sugary things. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, is have a conversation with yourself. I call it the third space between these components and be, be present to asking like who or what within me is actually asking or wanting this particular stuff. What is actually desiring it? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Hello, lower mind. Hello, limbic system. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. let me feed you some sugar. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, then in that moment, in again, you have another third space of actually making a decision. Do I really need this? Asking that question. Yeah. And, See, then, like- and then, you know, your prefrontal cortex will probably come in and you'll start having an argument between the lower mind and the higher mind. Yeah, but I want it. I, I, you know, like it, it tastes good. Yeah, but you don't really need it, you know. Da, 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 da. So then it is again, you find that third place in the middle. If your consciousness, like the higher, the higher, higher mind comes in, the super consciousness, and then you're able to actually decide, no, I don't really need this. Mm, mm. And the, one of the questions that I actually love to ask myself when I get drawn into, and I, and I, I'm still one of those people that, you know, gets caught into eating certain stuff and whatever mm. <clears throat> is, um, is really, uh, do I need this, right? Is this, am I eating to live or living to eat? Yeah, see, like, see, see what you're talking about is like, in my opinion, an empowered mind and an empowered outlook. However, there's so many times where I've heard conversations similar to these and, and how do I put this nicely? Um, 
like that they just fall on deaf ears. Why? Because if someone's going to like, I, maybe I'm thinking my sister when I'm having this conversation, because we have some great conversations and she's like, well, fuck it because I want the chocolate bar, you know, like no one goes through, in my opinion, unless they're like super wanting to be conscious to themselves and empowerment. They don't walk through the, the, the checkout and go, um, do I need like that conversation in the head? What I find to be more empowering is to go, yep, I'm going to have this chocolate bar. I'm going to enjoy it and pass no judgment on it. Because like I think I said to you, there was one week here in Bali. Yeah, I think it was one full week. One full week, I ate whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, and just purely practiced not passing any judgment over it, whether it was in the moment, an hour later, two hours later, or in the morning. Yeah. And what was really interesting was that the first few days I did do that, but because I really wasn't passing judgment on it, because that was my conscious choice, I found that I was like doing intermittent fasting. I was fasting for most of the day. I ended up having a big meal for dinner, but like I even equilibrated myself and balanced myself out purely based on, I'm like, no, I'm not going to judge myself on it. So that was a, that's just another viewpoint on it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And either way, there is, there's judgment. We cannot get rid of judgment. You know, it's there to service. It's just how you choose to actually view it with consciousness in the moment. And totally, yes, you know, by giving yourself permission without stepping into the shame and guilt of actually eating something is the yeah. freedom of being able to, to be all things, which is what we are as humans, to be all things. It yeah. just, you know, and um that's completely okay like completely okay yeah yeah really. because totally it's like i, see that I guess i guess you know it, it's that and i'm not i'm not negating what you just said i'm, I'm just going to look at some underlying uh we want to be careful that people aren't going oh well i give myself permission to to go and do this and then they drive themselves deeper and deeper and deeper into a polarizing effect right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then that becomes almost like a justification, mm -hmm. which is an overjudgment of yeah. what they are consuming. So we ha also having the conscious awareness of is the physiology balanced within the body, right? Yeah. And we can do everything and anything in, 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 as, and also consuming in moderation. It's and, and the moderation is coming back to the center in terms of balance. It's when we start to actually polarize that we start to create disease within our physical body. So mm -hmm. then it's having that conscious awareness. Are you polarizing and creating your own disease? You are the cause of the effect of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, okay. Fair point. Fair point. So when, when we bring up, um, so put the word addiction to the side, to the side for a second and we just look at if we're polarizing our psychology or our behavior or or um you know food whatever it happens to be exercise to one side right it's going to be compensated in another area to the same degree something like this so it, what i'm trying to get at is let's just we'll, we'll keep it on food if someone is polarized with food but in the food choices right what are the, the, because I know there's a few main drivers that drive that behavior. Is it, is it pure like unfulfillment in life? Yes. Is it looking for escape? Is it feeling into body? Is it shame and guilt? What would be like the th three to five main 
and I know there's different layers to this, but three to five main things. So people can kind of walk away and at least go off. They find themselves doing this. It's one of these three to five things that could be popping up to explore. Well, you know, for example, where I am in, in my office here, like I'm quite within the area of there's a lot of cafes and there's these little fast food outlets, you know, and, um, and last week I had this desire to eat hot chips, you know, you know what hot chips are like in Australia. They're just divine with chicken salt, right? So um, I gave myself permission to walk next door and, and order those and send you a picture so that you could see that this was actuality, that I still consume those particular things. Mm-hmm. And, but I, in the moment I was looking at, asking the question, you know, why am I desiring this? You know, like what is the unfulfillment that is actually occurring in my life right now? And, you know, I stepped into that, you know, and I was having, I was having moments of, I was bored and I was also unfulfilled in some of the, some of the work that I was doing. So, you know, I was compensating through eating hot chips for that. Yeah. So I can just bring that back to, does that answer your question? Yeah, 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 hundred percent. And again, only someone—that's why we, the people that we work with—we only attract, you know, at least the the first level, level one of uh, of consciousness. What we call, you know, the inception um, masterclass is someone that has is curious and open mind, six growth and six truth. Right. Otherwise, people are like, oh, fuck it, I just I want to go about my life, which is also perfectly fine. So this is more of an for people who have an engaged mind. Um, and it, yeah, so to your point, you know, unfulfilled in that moment, it's when we have people that we have looked up to and we only see one side and what they do that we think that they have something that we don't in the sense of, uh, I used to have that with Dr. Martini. I still have, or did have that with the rock, you know, the Dwayne Johnson, again, he controls the narrative of his social media. People only see one thing and that's when people can really get stuck in this comparison because whoever they look up to and admire, they're only seeing one side. Yeah, totally. You know, I remember back when I was a teenager, you know, you used to put the posters on your wall of, yep. you know, the, the rock bands and, and, you know, the hot chicks and the hot guys. And yep. I aspired to be like some of these hot chicks. I think Kylie Minogue was like, my idol you know and Mm. and I I just wish that I could be like her and you know sing like her and have the body like her and but you know that's an ejected uh authority or it's putting somebody on a pedestal above me and but that but that was my comparison in life and so therefore it was actually creating lower uh I was judging the sense of self so lower self-worth issues were showing up because there's no way. Look at the colour of my hair. It's not going to be blonde ever unless, mm. you know, like I dye my eyebrows and go through that whole process and have a whole heap of plastic surgery and whatever <clears throat> to become like that. So mm. we're constantly chasing a perception of an image of if we had that, life, mm-hmm. would, be, life would be better, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Instead of being in the moment and loving the life that we have right now and being grateful for the phys- the body that we've been given and being able to, to you know, like be present to that. Because yeah. each person on this planet is unique and each person on this planet 
has a unique set of gifts to be able to bring to the world. And this is where like the law of heuristic escalation also comes in. If two people were the same and we look at, this is also a universal law of nature, then there's no need for that person. So they get canceled out. Yeah. So each individual uh, characteristic uh, is absolutely necessary in terms of the energy and the vibration and frequency that they're actually bringing to actually play a part in the collective. You know, mm -hmm. we're all playing our part in the collective. It's, mm -hmm. and so subordinating or trying to be somebody other than who you are is actually futile. Yeah, 100%. So I, there's a word that I want you to hold on to for a second because we'll come back to it. Demigods, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Before Del that, beauties. coming back to um, food, coming back to you said before, you know, unfulfillment or boredom in the moment. So those are things that obviously come up with people, people unfulfilled or boredom. For sure, people can relate to that. How about, how does self-worth or perceived lower self-worth affect wanting to reach out and, and gorge in food or gorge in something that they label as bad? Well, they're avoiding something within themselves that they don't like the feeling of. And that's generally, you know, comparing, the, comparing yourself to others relative to who you are and not looking for the beauty that you have within yourself. It's trying to actually become someone other than who you are. So a form of overeating or something to do with this is a form of uh, self-judgment and then escaping and escaping through overeating? Well, in essence, the overeating, depending what you're actually putting into your, into your mouth, is to actually give you satiation. Like satiation means to feel full, which is also another form of fulfillment, right? So... Mm -hmm. When you're satiated in terms of actually eating, what are you generally doing? You're uh, like quelling the feeling of emotions or something within you uh, and it gives you that satiated feeling. Now it's just fleeting. It's a short-term thing. And so this is where, you know, people, don't, people tend to actually, you know, they get the short-term feeling fix of dopamine and they're actually seeking pleasure to avoid pain. Yeah, right. So, so getting these feelings of dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, oxytocin hormones through the body, which are good feeling hormones, you're getting fulfillment through that form, which is a form, rather than perhaps, say, a form because you're feeling unfulfilled in work, relationship, other areas. So you yeah. are getting it in an area, however, you're judging it because you don't like it in that form. Yeah, but there's nothing wrong with it because... A person cannot actually get out of a container that they can't see. So maybe those people are not conscious to it or they're not aware to it, right? So they are, they are not wrong in what they're doing. They're just doing what is actually driven by the feeling body, driven by the lower mind, the limbic system, the animal mind, right? Mm. And they're just doing what they know in how to actually uh, admonish the certain pain feelings which could be associated to emotions whatever and um but it is also too you know it's totally okay it's like people that smoke that drink that they have they have is a byproduct of a primary cause that they're actually actually avoiding within themselves but again if they can't see it they don't know it so therefore there's no awareness there's no conscious to it so they are not wrong in that moment there is no right or wrong. People are just doing the best they can with what they have, with the knowledge that they have. 
So, uh, and they're also probably not aware of what they're actually consciously or unconsciously so that they are unconsciously creating in terms of disease within their physiology until somebody generally points it out to them. Yeah. And this is why and then again, and then again, it becomes a conscious choice. Once they have that awareness, do you want to change? Is it, is it important enough to you to actually make changes in terms of your um, nutrition, your, your well-being, your physiology? And if it is, then, then people will make those changes. But if it's not, and it's still actually driven by uh, lower self-worth issues or unconscious behaviors that are not integrated, then, you know, if we can also say there's uh, the primary, secondary and tertiary effects, like going deep backwards of cause and effect, which are still unconscious. So they're not going to have the awareness to actually make the changes, right? They may live in the victim mentality of, well, you know, I, I've got this because of this and this and this. And then they still make a conscious choice to stay in that, that mentality because they get more benefits and drawbacks to it. They get the support from certain people that, you know, they've got this disease that they've yeah. created, but they're not conscious to it. So they get the support in it. Um, that's where I, I become potentially, you know, bring it to their awareness, get them to understand that, that they are the cause of the effect of what is actually happening. And then ask them the question, is it of benefit to you to be able to make the change in your physiology to bring your physiology back to a state of homeostasis or balance? Is that important to you to be able to in, engage in a life that maybe may consist of well-being and uh, uh, you know lengthen your lifespan? Yeah, and the answer will always be no initially because if it mm -hmm. was yes, then they'd already be doing it. Yeah. Yeah, but they may not have the awareness of what's actually driving totally. driving that, that behavior. Totally. That's why it still requires that curious and engaged mind to seek out, right? So, mm -hmm. so based on that, because um, you, you brought up an interesting point. So um, I can't remember who first, I first heard it from. I think it might have been Tony Robbins, and he called it the pressure cooker. Now... We have, like you said before, we have these fleeting moments, right? Of say like boredom or unfulfillment and then we'll want to go and eat something or, or whatever, what form it's in, right? Drink, which is fleeting, which I also call the pressure cooker because the pressure builds up of, of let's just say, um, let's say you have been drinking or overeating or, or doing some form for a week, two weeks, a month. You get so frustrated. So it now becomes a void. You're like, fuck it. I'm going to join up to the gym. I'm going to go with my girlfriend or my friend and we're going to go and do this. And you buy clothes to the gym and you make a podcast. And I used to tell the story to my clients, but you get to a certain point where that pressure comes off. You lose a couple of kilo, you feel better within your digestion, you're sleeping better. So you go back to that other behavior again. So again, it's this, this law of rhythm, if that's the right one. How is, is it, without passing judgment on that, it is what it is. What if someone wants to um, consciously choose to leave this pressure cooker of behavior of going, you know, void and then value, you know, up and down or in around. So which which is really what, which is consistently what's going to happen throughout our life, but it's, are you doing it consciously or unconsciously? Right? Yeah. I, as, 
as we actually evolve through life, we, we, we continue to experience challenges. We're not going to actually get rid of those. They're here to stay. And it's how we choose to actually move through them with consciousness and awareness and presence to what is actually occurring. And this is where we only have control over our decisions, right? Because of our perceptions and through, and through knowledge or understanding, then we can potentially have a decision-making process that is going to be aligned to what's most important to you. Again, as an individual, no two individuals the same that what is most important to you is not most important to me. That is based on what we could say values um, or our axiology. That is actually the driving force of everything that we do and where we actually live our lives from. <clears throat> so having that awareness of what our authentic axiology is, and that's where our core drivers actually stem from. And that's where our core decision-making processes actually stem from that too as well. Yeah. And yeah, we, we're going to continue to have these, uh, you know, like, uh, mountains and valleys actually or you know volatilities that actually occur through our life but it is do we want to have like this uh, mountain that's Mount Everest and then we do we want to have like the the valley that, that's in the Grand Canyon with the, the lowest level of you know so we look at like the volatility the polarity are they so far apart or are we going to work towards actually bringing them into you know more of a undulating terrain yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. And perfectly said. And, and again, like you said before, do you want to consciously do it or, or, or unconsciously? And this is where it wraps up into the form of self-governance and self-mastery over self and knowing how to manipulate certain things to your, to the court. So you have the, be the cause of your effect. Because when you don't pass judgment on something and you know that everything is here to stay in the form of judgments, addictions, goods, bads, then you're like, so uh, without being too abstract, in the law of, what was around around chaos and order? What does that fall under? Polarity? Uh, correspondence, compensation, cause okay. and effect. Okay, yeah. so... Uh, chaos, chaos theory. <laughs> chaos theory. So I was talking to Kelly and uh, she brought this to my awareness, which is more like, let's just call it conscious level two. Uh, which is our limitless um, mastermind. And she said something to me that kind of caught me off guard. And she goes, you know, we have the seven areas of life in, in our perspective. And she goes, you know, what would be wise is to where you're consciously placing uh, order and disorder, right? Which is bring balance in all areas of life. Not to go, I'm going to have balance in my highest values or priorities of, business learning um relationships but consciously having chaos and order in each area which is going to maximize balance and fulfillment in all areas of life which i think i thought is extremely wise i haven't gotten to that stage yet of consciously placing it but this comes back to having governance over mind self-mastery and this is when you really create the life that you wish yep yeah. And, and that, that, that becomes a practice. It does become a practice which requires, you know, a level of understanding before you can get to that point, you know. So yes. this is why really we've developed these, these special teachings is we want to be able to bring to people to uh, have this conscious awareness so that they can master 
the life within themselves to be able to have mastery over the life outside of them. So yeah. that becomes reflective when you master within, then yeah. the mastery actually is also without as above, so below, as so within, as so without in terms of the hermetic axioms. And bringing, bringing this information that is so old and the wisdom that actually comes from it, you know, is so profound that it's, it's almost like it's, it's the secrets of, of those that actually transform their lives and evolve to different stages or, or higher levels of ascension in every yeah. area of their life, including business, family, uh, finances, you know, physiology, even socially, networking, yeah. having yeah. Uh, connections that are greater and uh, familial, like your family relationships become more profound and deeply connected and then we, then we can step into the spiritual aspects you know like our real vision and mission of what we are here to do and what are we here to be of service to in yeah. terms of our spiritual mission and vision as a human on this on this planet yeah those deep questions and and just to kind of um finish and, and wrap up with i watched that as you know the um the doco out of the shadows or out of shadows or whatever it was, which I found to be quite a um, interesting doco. Yep. And, um, and it's interesting because I never thought about it before, but I kind of passed judgment on ancient civilizations where they had demigods or deities, which is, um, you know, what, what was the demigods? Is this things like Hercules and like this? Well, yeah, that's a whole other topic, Benji. Like no, so what, were, what, were the names? what are some demigod there's, names? There's, there's many. There's many demigod names, you know. We can the most, talk about the most popular that people would know. Well, uh, Zeus. Zeus? Right. So the back Holland. in the day, there's a there's a reason for this, is that you know, back in the day, people uh, believed that there were these demigods, Zeus, Hercules, you say Apollo? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And these days we kind of think like, oh, there's such a uh, lower mind. Like how could they believe in certain things like these people? It just wasn't real. However, they still believed it was real. Mm-hmm. However, it hasn't changed form. Our demigods now in modern society is celebrities, right? And you see this now. And like I said, I got this from this doco, which is quite, I never made this connection that celebrities and rappers and artists and singers they get put on these big stages with thousands and thousands of people watching. They get portrayed on media as one-sided, right? And this is why we love to see the rise of a celebrity. However, we always like to see the fall of a celebrity because it brings them back into like this, the, the human, right? Which takes yeah. them off the pedestal, which is fulfilling. So again, it's once you have this awareness that if you are subordinating, if you are looking up to your own version of uh, these demigods, gods, celebrities, right? Whether it be, um, so for a little bit, for me, it always used to be Sam Ovens for my space. He's done very well financially in the consulting space, but many different people, Russell Brunson, John Martini. as you start to take these people off a pedestal, you can really start to look at how you are of value you're raising your self-worth and how you can live authentically to yourself. Because as soon as you start putting people on pedestals, look up to people, admiring people, putting yourself down, this is when you're uh, losing a, a level of authenticity and not owning 
the magnificence within you. So I just wanted to kind of share. Beautifully that. said. Beautifully said, Ben. Absolutely beautifully said. It's becoming conscious of opposites. Yeah. Yeah. And that each person on this planet has a hero and villain inside of them. Yeah. And just because you don't see one or the other doesn't mean it's not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is- I would love to actually like go deeper in terms of deity, deities and demigods and, and like the, the constructs of, of why they were created in, in yeah. our. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So Let's we can do, do that, that on another we'll Next time then. Because that's why I was reading the book um, in creating our movement, Kelly, and what we want to do called the true believer, which studies uh, movements of, you know, Christianity, religions, Buddhism, also, uh, you know, the Nazi uh, mm-hmm. movement. And it's very fascinating to learn how things get used in society to persuade the masses. So that might tie in nicely when we talk about deities Beautiful. and uh, demigods yep. and stuff. Perfect. Beautiful. Awesome. Absolutely. Anything else you want, else you want to leave on? No. Nope. I think, I think um, this is a beautiful place to actually, you know, like wind it up and uh, uh, leave it at that. And um, yeah, so if, if people are curious or interested, they can, uh, in becoming part of our human source codex and joining the inception program, Benji is going to give you the details on how that, that you can reach out and join yeah. So for those, those that are kind of listening, um, again, you may be listening to this in two years into the future, but we're going to be launching the Inception Masterclass in uh, end of October 2020. Um, all of our programs and, uh, will be available on humansourcecodex.com where you can kind of find out more. And one thing to kind of explain around without going too much detail what it's all about there's a big reason why Kelly and I decided to shift to more of a different learning format. Now we both come from the space, you know, for me last 10 years, Kelly 20 plus years investing a lot of money and time into learning and knowledge that we found that courses were very, what was the word Kelly static in nature, very like, and like that's why when Kelly coaches me or coaches other people, we call it intuitive coaching because it's like what's showing up for you right now. And we found that when people were going through courses, a lot of questions would come up or they wouldn't implement or do the exercise because they'd have emotional blocks. And sure, there'd be courses that have group coaching, but what about for those that don't feel comfortable to ask a question on group coaching, right? Or what if they, if the person doing the group coaching doesn't have the right tools and their own, you know, around mindset, because anytime that we're not taking action is always based from the mind, right? So our format of our course, if you want to call it this or seminar is eight weeks, right? Which is four weekends and uh, it's delivered live. So we cap our, our uh, enrollment at 10 to 15 people and it's delivered over uh, eight hours on a Saturday, eight hours on a Sunday. And there we go through education, also facilitation of questions. And this is where we're finding uh, and found that people are getting the, the fastest results, the biggest transformations, because it's all real time and it's all intuitively done, right? So that's what we've found to work, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because so it becomes authentic to who you are as a person. 
And um, like I say, the law of risk escalation is that there is no two people on this planet that are the same. There is an equal and opposite in every aspect. So, um, and you as a person are completely authentic in your nature. So we want to be able to speak to that and develop that as opposed to, you know, we'll, we'll definitely give you some teaching to get some knowledge and understanding, but have, having the ability to really, really uh, transform your authenticity. Yeah, because, it, and again, this really showed up through me in the sense of like, how much knowledge have I consumed? How much learning have I gone through, right? And at least in the form that I was seeking, I was not taking the action that I was wanting. And this came back to, I touched on the podcast a while ago, after my divorce, you know, I was working the family business. I was driving trucks at the time, listening to audio books, listening to other things. And I was listening to, you know, eight hours a day, six days a week for a year, literally that routine. And my consciousness grew, my awareness grew, my confidence grew. However, the actions I was taking, because I was still living in fear and subordination to my teachers, I was not taking the action required to my goals, right? So again, people can go through courses and have the knowledge and learn, yet so many people either don't finish the course and don't implement the, what's required, yeah. the results. So that's what we want to change. I, I think so. You know, I've done many of those things, you know, and I, the step-by-step is program, you know, I'm not one for structure. Ben calls me, you know, like, my God, you're so abstract to, you know, bring some structure in there. I wouldn't say I'm not one for a hundred percent structure is that, there, there is an element of abstraction that creates the authenticity to actually allows you to be who you are. And this is a beautiful, beautiful thing that I learned um, when I was uh, training horses and training the animal mind is I realized that there is not one mechanistic uh, program that fits all. And and when I first entered into training horses, it was, oh, you have to do this step-by-step, step-by-step thing, you know, and it was creating more problems than it was actually training animals to become out the other side to be useful. So I embarked on a journey of actually starting to research and search other ways of actually, you know, training or teaching. I like to use the word teaching as opposed to training. Training to me is kind of like sequential standards of procedures that one must follow right whereas teaching is allowing you to actually find the answer so we may set it up for you and allow you to actually derive the answer that is actually authentic and pertinent to you in terms of what is most important to you in your values right in your in your authentic axiology and in your direction of your teleology your telos or your mission or your end in mind so with the horses it's being very present in the moment and feeling into what is actually required where is that horse at and then how can i help him actually get to the next next stage of development and so sometimes i had 20 to 30 horses in in my teaching pens and so being able to shift between each one as an individual and be present in the moment to that and um, that really taught me how to actually teach from that level And then when I was teaching 
many classes, sometimes with, uh, you know, 30 to 50 people in there with 30 to 50 horses, being present to each person as an individual, but each horse is an individual too. That become the most challenging, but the most rewarding thing to individualize, to become authentic in the deliverance of, of what it is, the information or the wisdom that I wanted to impart to be able mm. to see that horse and that person actually transcend to another layer. Now you're mm. probably thinking, oh, well, you know, that's horses. And that um, it's, I'm, I've never been around a horse or I've never had the, uh, you know, the ability to own that. So what does that mean to me? Well, deep inside you as a human being, you have exactly the same, uh, intellectual brain makeup is what the horse does in the animal mind right so i i have this deep understanding of how to communicate to the limbic system and how to actually communicate to the limbic system to actually transcend you into the higher mind as a human that you do have the next layer of consciousness yeah. so this is where we must start to be able to bring awareness and consciousness like from that lower-minded limbic system animal mind, which I'm not labelling as wrong. Calling it lower doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's an absolutely beautiful part of our human existence that we, we don't want to negate. We want to be able to embrace it because it is the foundation of everything of where we actually stem from. And I'm thankful for the horses and the, the 25 years of that actually learning and studying with them and what they actually taught me in terms of behavior with humans. Hey everybody, this is Kelly. Really quickly, I just wanted to invite you to join our web class at inceptionmasterclass.com. Ben and I have found through our own journeys of self-mastery the intrinsic hunger that we all have deep inside of us to be more, to do more, have more and give more. We believe everybody is one paradigm away from something. Some of you guys are one paradigm away from discovering exactly what your purpose here on earth is. Some of you are one paradigm away from that deeply fulfilling intimate relationship. Some of you are one paradigm away from that level of health and physique that you desire. Some of you are one paradigm away from giving your bank account a massive boost. So we put together this in-depth web class together as an insight into our signature program, the Inception Masterclass series. That has been responsible for dozens of individuals in raising their levels of success in all seven areas of life. This web class is going to help you understand the philosophy, strategy, the implementation tactics and the full truth. That's it, the full truth behind what is needed for you to obtain ever greater levels of achievement and intelligence so you can be more, do more, have more and give more. So what I recommend you do right now, stop everything, pause this audio, go online and go to inceptionmasterclass.com. That's inceptionmasterclass.com and join the next live web class with Ben and I. There's a web class starting in the next few days, so go and sign up right now, inceptionmasterclass.com.